0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Totally Well Show. I'm your host, Joyce Strong. The Totally Well Show is a place where we get curious, ask questions, and explore everything to do with health, wellness, fitness, personal development, helping people, and all the things it takes to help you live a strong, joyous life. My guest today is Dr. Taylor Brana. He is a DO, which is Doctor of Osteopathy which means he's a doctor, just like your MDs, except more from a um, holistic perspective. Uh, somewhere in the functional medicine that you're used to knowing me by with about prevention and looking at root cause, mind, body, spirit, and heart, as Dr. Uh, Brana explained to me. In this episode, we talk about decision-making and um, the things that work to put our brains in the right place to be able to make good decisions and practices Practice. Lots of practical uh, tips that you can do to help you to be stronger and happier. Dr. Brana has the podcast, which you've probably heard, "The Happy Doc." So wherever you get your podcast, I recommend you go ahead and listen to that. And he is also a founder of Flash Go, which is a flashcard system, but it's all using technology with Alexa skills, so you can just talk to Alexa and ask the uh, questions to come up either in a category. Gloria randomly, and he's developing this for for all the different um, ancillary health fields. Um, right now, has the medical uh, um, card set built, and then um, also working with dental and others, and um, and also and MCATs and study uh, flesh cards. So, a wonderful tool to help you, so that you're not always sitting in a chair, crunched over, or um, you can get up and walk, or. Um, Be on a treadmill or do other kinds of things while you're listening and learning and that's what I love to do Because I'm a big fan of audible books as you know Anyway, I hope you're gonna enjoy this episode with Taylor and I'm so glad I have him as a friend and a resource He's wise beyond his years I see these people who are young enough to be my kids and they're so smart and I'm like I wish I had been that smart when I was that age but I'm getting smart now, so that's all that matters. So uh, thanks for joining me today on Totally Well Podcast. I hope you will go ahead and give me a review and a thumbs up and a share and all those things that help me boost up in the ranks because I want more people to hear my show and I want more people to come on who are like uh, Taylor, who is such a great resource. And please go over to the happy doc and uh, give him some love because it's a great podcast and a great concept. He's going to help a lot of people who are going through the medical process be healthier and happier. Um, And he learned from his mistakes. And so you don't have to make the same ones. So thanks a lot. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode, but enjoy this one now with Dr. Taylor Bronner. Welcome, Taylor. I'm really excited to get to know you better. I've been following you on your um, podcast, The Happy Doc, and uh, and uh, reading some of your, um, your, your social media stuff. So I'm really mm-hmm. excited to get to know you. Welcome to the Totally Well Show.
1: Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. I just went on a rock climb and uh, got my energy up, so I'm ready to go.
0: Oh, nice. Rock climb? Yeah. Yeah. Have you done this before?
1: Um, in terms of rock climbing? Yeah. Yeah. So I've actually been rock climbing. Sheesh. I've, I've been rock climbing now for three years. Okay. And, um, you know, what I really enjoy about it is I, I get to just get lost in the moment. I get to look at the wall. Every problem is a little bit different. Um, it's very challenging to the mind. It's challenging to the body,
2: yeah. but
1: on a spiritual level and on a more character level, I I'm always looking for the next thing. So it's just, it, it, it very much so aligns with what I look forward to in life. And I think whenever I'm able to kind of, uh, stretch what I can do on the climbing, it, it's also very metaphorical to what I can do in life. So I really enjoy the practice. It's been awesome. And, um, I have a gymnastics background, actually. So.
0: Oh yeah, I was going to ask you that because you had mentioned in one of your podcasts that, about your athletic background, and I saw at Temple you did um, kinesiology. Say it for kinesiology. me. <laughs> kinesiology. Kinesiology. Yeah. And so I knew you had you know had that background as well. And plus, I did want to let people know what you do now, and um, and satisfy that question about I call I accidentally called you MD. I didn't mean to give you a demotion.
1: Oh, no worries.
0: (laughs) But you're a DO. Can you just let our audience know about that, Uh, the difference there
1: for us? Yeah, absolutely. So essentially, an MD and a DO are very similar, Mm -hmm. except they have different origins. Um, Traditionally speaking, there was a big divide in the 1900s, and essentially what happened was there was. A divide between utilizing medications and pharmaceuticals Mm -hmm. versus um, looking at the body in a holistic way Mm -hmm. so DO is for doctor of osteopathy Mm -hmm. osteo is for bone Mm
2: -hmm. and the
1: creator the originator Andrew Taylor still looked at the body in terms of bones and alignment Mm -hmm. so philosophically it's about creating alignment in the system. And now when we fast forward, we think about creating alignment in terms of mind, body, and spirit, Mm -hmm. trying to align um, physiologically, um, anatomically, spiritually, um, and looking at a human being in a holistic way. So when you consider someone coming in for a headache, it's not just the headache. You have to think about the factors that got there. Mm -hmm. And so that's essentially the difference. An MD traditionally sees the headache, figures out what's going on with the headache, and medication, and you're out.
0: They treat Um, symptoms versus root cause.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Usually when I pick a, a, a primary care provider, I look for the DOs because they speak my language because I'm a personal yep. medicine nurse and background. So,
1: yeah.
0: Um, so that's awesome. And then what got you into this? Where you're, you're a resident now.
1: Yeah. So I'm a resident in psychiatry in my third year.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And uh, you know, I think initially it's funny. I, was very interested about health, mainly because of my athletic background. And with gymnastics, you're trying to get to the highest level, the peak level of your body. And it's just so important to think about the little things that are going to contribute to your ability to perform at the highest level. So I really just looked up you know, different magazines, internet articles, focusing on health, and I've always just thought about the body nutritionally, um, thinking about the proper exercise, thinking about the proper stretching. In gymnastics, you're doing things where you're flipping around. You could at any moment get hurt and you have to strengthen the mind. So I've just always thought about things in a big picture. So osteopathic schools, when I was considering medical school, was just an easy fit. mm
0: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So um, w- we were talking earlier today about um, some of the uh, some of the things I've heard you talk about in your podcast, the the Happy Doc. Oh, let me get into that question. Why did you start the Happy Doc?
1: Um, because behind- I was an unhappy doc.
0: <laughs> I had a feeling. Yeah, I feel I feel like is he talking to me? I'm not a doc, but I kind of like expand it to you're talking to people who have similar problems. But I, yeah.
1: and
0: I was so under- essentially it started with it,
1: it, mm-hmm. it comes from me being at the peak of my life at the end of college and transitioning into medical school. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like I was in great physical shape, mental, heart, spirit, everything. I just felt great.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, and I'm going into a healthcare system, and I go into this at peak. And then by second year, I'm probably the worst I've ever been. My body's hurting. I'm mentally not in good place. I'm depressed. I'm exhausted. And I'm in a ridiculous amount of debt. And so my healthcare process or, or teaching put me, for better or worse, into the worst situation. So I'm having this... Yeah, so I'm having this cognitive dissonance in terms of, I want to heal people, but I feel sick. And so the happy doc was me reaching out to happy doctors, happy health professionals, um, individuals who are successful, and understanding how to work through this transition, be at a higher level, and ultimately claim to be the happy doc so i can be a great example for other people.
0: Yeah. I love that. You know, i founded confident women consortium um which was this it started out as live events and i'm turning it into a podcast now and i'll have a mix of it but for exactly the same reason i i had i was like the only way i'm going to get confident is to get around confidence and see what right. it looks like and what it feels like and and keep challenging myself. So when I saw that, and then I listened through your podcast, and then I re-listened today to prep for tonight, and uh, I was like, "He's smart. He knows how to <laughs> get it done." Yeah. So what are some yeah, of so- the tricks you've learned to put yourself in a healthier place? Because I want to segue into the d- decision-making uh, topic.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I would say that there's a few characteristics that if you study success and if you study people who are operating at a high level,
2: mm-hmm. it's
1: very consistent across the board. Um, number one, there has to be, and I think this is the core, you have to have an underlying belief that you can operate at a high level, that it is possible that you can be at a higher level. You need to want it inside of it. Mm -hmm. So if you don't create this core belief, Mm -hmm. if you can't grab it, if you can't visualize a higher level, it's not gonna happen. Mm -hmm. Because every human being needs something to chase. And what you chase isn't for anyone else. It's only for you. Mm -hmm. And if that core foundation is not present, it's going to be really hard. So when I think about that from a psychological perspective, people who grew up in a difficult circumstance in areas of their lives where they were struggling or they were hurt or abused, all these things it instills in them a core belief that they're not good enough, that they're never gonna be good enough. And that's really tough. And I think for those individuals, it's even harder, but when they transition and they change that belief, everything changes. Mm -hmm. For those who had maybe a better upbringing with good examples, those individuals have examples that were operating at a high level. And so sometimes that's automatically instilled. So they don't even realize that they're already operating there. Mm -hmm. So that's number one. Number two, when it comes to what I think success is, it's everything is about actions. Everything is about habit forming the highest level people are able to take actions that the average just do not. And it's not just one action or two actions. It's a system of actions consistently over time. Mm -hmm. So when you have that belief and you've created that visualization of who you might be, what you want, what you're going towards, you know, I separate these things into mind, body, spirit, and heart. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So what thoughts do you want to have in your mind? How does your body want to feel? What do you want to feel in your heart? What emotions do you want to have? And what are your spiritual goals? What is your why? What is your core reason of being? Those types of things, when you're creating that visualization and that belief that you can achieve it, Mm -hmm. Paired with the action that is going to take you there, Mm -hmm. that is the ultimate combination. So to get there, you have to create, you know, again, and we talked about David Meltzer earlier. We only have 24 hours a day and you need to look at a calendar. You have to develop the consistent routines, the habits, and the actions That will actually incrementally take you there Mm
2: -hmm.
1: the successful take those actions so I would say those two things are probably the most important a third one I would add and Tony Robbins talks about it a lot is changing your standards every individual who is successful over time understands that if you're gonna change your life, the only way to really change it is to change and elevate your standards over time. Changing a standard means you won't ever cross below it again. It is a standard, it's just something you operate at. The average operates at an average standard, the below average operates at a below average stand- standard. Mm-hmm. And then the exceptional operate at an exceptional standard. So we could talk about what that looks like, what the actual actions are, what are some of the things I do, but those are the main operating pieces that will really get you there.
0: I'm curious what you meant by standard. What's an example of some standard that you would set?
1: So a standard might just be the fact, let's talk about body and exercise for a second. A standard for me is essentially I work out every day.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There, there's no drop in that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I have an exercise of some sort and I'm stretching and I'm moving every day. Mm-hmm. I have to. That's it.
0: Mm-hmm. Non-negotiable.
1: There's no choice.
0: Yeah.
1: My body must move. I don't care if I'm partying. I don't care if I'm having a late day at work. It's going to happen. Yeah. That's it. Why? Because the state and the the energy level of my system is dependent on movement. Your body is built on fluid and blood and lymphoid tissue. The only way your body is going to pump, the only way your blood flow and your energy is going to stay high, the only way you're going to clean your system is through movement. The veins, and specifically the lymph tissue, there is no pump, Mm -hmm. there's nothing. The only way to move and strengthen your immune system is through movement. Mm -hmm. There's no other way around it. So for me to operate at high energy, my body needs to be at a high energy. And that's a standard that raises my physiology, raises my state, Mm -hmm. so my energy is higher, and then I'm able to do the other things much better.
0: Very nice. Now I've been getting interested in this subject of decision making, and it kind of—I can't even tell you exactly who started me thinking about this. But I've been doing coaching and been in the medical field for over thirty years as a nurse and and as a coach. Um, I hear all the time people say, "I know what to do, I just don't do it." And even in these great books like James Clear, Atomic Habits, or all the you know this we you and I listen to podcasts, we read you mm-hmm. know up on the current stuff. The new book by uh, the Perlmutters, Brainwash. Um, Gary Epler has a book on um, called Alive with Life. He's an MD in here in the Boston area. And what I'm hearing from a lot of these people is is that a hint of that missing link is what I'm thinking of it as like, what is that piece we as healthcare professionals are not conveying? Certainly. in what I teased about, you know, I didn't really mean to diss the MDs, but they're coming along. (laughs) Some of them, you know, like I met, I interviewed Austin the other day and he was great and he's like you, he's, you know, much more holistic. Of course, his dad, look where he grew up. So, um, but that's what they talked about that missing piece of why are we not doing it and then it got into a discussion of brain health and i heard you use some of the terms about um, the amygdala and the pcc the posterior cingulate and the frontal uh, cortex or the prefrontal cortex so the the pleasure center the nucleus accumbens and we're looking and so what i what i got from the conversations especially with dr Epler, was almost like there're rooms in our head and When you're in that room, it's the wrong room because you're, you know, you're in the amygdala, you're in the emergency center, the room, I call it. And (laughs) you need to, you cannot make a good decision if you're stuck there. So why are we stuck there? And that's what I wanted to see if I get more of what's behind that, especially I'm not like a woo language person. I like the sign. So,
1: you know, the way I'm going to just remove this real quick. (laughs) So the way we... Ultimately differentiating psychology and psychiatry is uh, and the way I actually teach this to patients is we have The emotion mind we have the logic mind and we have the wise mind Now the wise mind sits right in between those two pieces Instead of talking about anatomy because again, I could talk to you about anatomical regions all day But that's not how humans think humans are either in their emotion mind. They're in the logic mind and the wise mind Yeah, the emotion mind And where a lot of people can struggle is when something activates you. Emotion is thoughts, or thoughts with energy. It's Mm -hmm. not just a thought. It's a a moment in time where something triggers you. It reminds you of something. A smell. A smell gives you, if you smell a nice donut, maybe that reminds you of the first fresh hot donut you had when you were growing up, right? Whatever that is, there's an emotional trigger that comes up. There's positive triggers, and there's negative triggers, right? Mm Whatever that trigger is, it's generally housed within our memory memory. I had talked about it before. The amygdala and the hippocampus are so close together, mm-hmm. they're locked in essentially. You think about something like trauma, right? Mm-hmm. High intense situation locks into the hippocampus, mm-hmm. and it's it's incredibly hard to untease or tease out those things. If someone gets a trigger, they don't even think about it it's so instant and the emotion of terror comes in the flashbacks the anxiety the stress the hypervigilance mm-hmm. fear and and just the fight or flight response instantaneously right that's the emotion side okay mm-hmm. the okay. logic side is if you consider sh- like someone like spock right yeah. like someone like you know from from star trek right spock like just cold complete logic understands everything from a uh, you know, from the strict sense of, you know, one plus one equals two, calculus, whatever, the way everything actually works, but there's no heart and there's no feeling and there's no empathy and there's no compassion. Yeah. And we always operate from these two levels all the time with the emotion and and also from the logic. But the wise mind combines the two And so when you can operate from wisdom, a lot of people get there through meditation. Mm -hmm. A lot of people get there through whatever gets them into flow states. Mm -hmm. You you come to peace in those times and you're able to look at any situation, any action you're going to take, um, any situation that you're in from not just the empathetic side, but also logic. And I like to differentiate the way I look about true wisdom is the differentiation between uh, empathy and compassion. So, empathy is is connecting to someone. And when you're really empathetic, you're usually giving them what they want. Mm -hmm. Compassion, especially in relationships and those types of situations, is not giving people what they want, it's giving them what they need. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And that's a very important differentiator. When we are in wise mind and we get into that deep level, we can look at our entire story. We can understand our past experiences. We can look at what we've learned throughout the way, use our logic, but then operate from compassion, understanding human behavior, understanding our emotions and understanding other individuals' emotions, and then we combined the 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 emotional part and the logic part to come to a wise decision about how we move forward. Now, how the heck are you going to be able to do this all the time? It sounds like a lot of work, right?
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. So, the only way that I have truly been able to operate more from a wise mind, and I'm not saying I'm perfect, is waking up early and meditating, mm-hmm. and journaling and reflecting in some form. So. Those are the only real actions that over time, consistent meditation, I took Transcendental Meditation, changed my life. When I used to, I don't do it as often, but 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the evening, it creates enough processing time and peace time
2: mm-hmm. that
1: it slows down the mind from being anxi- like in anxiety and stress and reactive mode. And lets you slow things down so you can really get into wise mind. And when you operate from wise mind, that's when you make overall long-term effective decisions. So I think I hope that was helpful, but that's the way I look at decision-making. That's actually how I explain it to patients as well.
0: Yeah, it's very it's very helpful. Um, I think Dr. Epler, had, he had a list of 10 uh, things he talked about that are a lot of the things that you're talking about that you do. Meditation, having eight hours of sleep. Having connection, uh, giving, being of service. Um, What other kind? uh, Obviously, whole non-processed food, exercising Mm -hmm. an hour a day, every day. Um, He has seven words he uses. He says, "Know who you are, moment to moment." So that the idea. You know how you can kind of like get right, but then you slip out of it. Like I haven't done a podcast in a month. You ever feel like that?
2: Uh, I was
0: just there, <laughs> and so and so what he what he's teaching me and in his book what and he came and I did an interview with him as well. I met him and his wife, and he's like, you got to do it moment to moment. You can't. Or another person said it to me, heartbeat to heartbeat. Like you can't hmm. let it slip. You have to keep coming back to. Or David says, coming back to center. You know, and everyone like you. I think you said in the beginning, is saying similar things, right? Yeah. So, um, so I loved hearing that these are these are actually techniques to pull me back sooner that I can actually say, wait a minute, I'm I'm sitting here being really judgy or poor me, or I can tell I'm in the wrong place in my brain, wherever it is. I don't want to be mm-hmm. there, and I need a nap. <laughs> I need to get out. Oh, getting out with nature—that's another thing. Being yeah. out with nature in Brainwash, they talk about getting rid of your phones and digital, you know, that sort of thing, so that you can uh, play with your kids, your grandkids, and Mm -hmm. um, have real, like we're doing, having authentic uh, communication with another person. Because I feel, I'm so happy coming into this, and I'm going to feel even better when I'm done, because I I connected with you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there's something I want to point out in there, you know, you said something about getting in touch with, you know, asking the question of like who who you are or how you want to operate moment for moment. For me, it's not so logical. Like I'm not thinking that actively. Mm-hmm. There, there's for me, there's a there's a feeling. There's a there's a specific feeling when you're operating, at least for me, when I'm operating from peace
2: mm-hmm. and when
1: I'm operating from a good state you literally aren't thinking so much. It's, everything's just moving. Every, the, every piece of your day is just step, step, mm-hmm. step. Th- there isn't much, it's not like you're so in your head at, anymore. And if you are in your head, it's because you're thinking about something, but everything is flowing nicely. When, when you're out of that alignment and you're out of that peace, you'll know because you will literally feel cognit- cognitive dissonance. You're going to start to feel tension you're going to not flow as easily. Your energy is going to be more depleted. Mm-hmm. You're not going to operate out of a place of gratitude. Essentially, you, you, if you can get into the state of, you know, obviously doing things that are good for you, maybe meditating or whatever practice gets you in flow, you start to operate at this place. You'll notice you're off when you start to get a lot more resistance within yourself and resistance in your ability to decide what you need and what you want you could be logical and you could slow it down and you could ask yourself, who am I? What do I need to do all these things? That's fine. But when you, when you actually reach this state and you're in flow, you don't have to think so hard.
0: Yeah, I, I would, I would say so. I, I guess I'm, it's more when we're not in flow. Like when you, the last podcast you did where you talked about, you know, Oh, I've been away. I'm coming back. Um, something happened there that woke you up to it that made you want to to get back into your flow. Yeah. What was that?
1: So essentially the the real reason I slowed down to begin with was uh, I'm working on a new project. So just a shameless plug. I'm working on something mid-flash? called. Is it the mid Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I want to hear about, I want to hear in detail about that. So don't feel that's why we're here.
1: Yeah. So, so it's uh it's called MedFlash go medical flashcards on the go. It's the first voice based, interactive medical question bank. So if you ever did, you know, questions out of a book or questions on the computer, now you can literally do questions using an Alexa.
2: Yeah, Alexa
0: skills.
1: Yeah, so it's, okay. it's an Alexa skill. And essentially what it does is um, you just turn it on and it'll ask you verbal questions and you'll respond. You can do multiple choice and free form answers. The reason I like it is because the issue with studying in general, especially with medical students and professional students, is you're always using your eyes. You're always staring at a book. You're always staring at a screen. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to be in a usually a crouch posture. Mm -hmm. This is a way to study, but you can also take care of yourself. You can take a hot bath. You can lie and lie down on your couch and lounge. You could technically have Alexa-fied headphones. You could do questions on a treadmill. Mm-hmm. You can, you know, you can bike and do questions. You can do questions while you're driving in the car. So you're able to interactively test yourself and you don't have to feel guilty. And this is th- the reason I created it is because I felt guilty studying and also taking care of myself. So this is very much in the happy doc theme of finding ways to still learn, but also take care of yourself. So creating those moments uh, is what I'm looking for. So Mad Flash goes the first edition mm-hmm. we also have mcat mcat flash go for pre uh, pre-meds also mm-hmm. already being created and we have dental FlashGo go also being created but med flash go officially is launched 2100 plus questions it's going to have uh all the levels of medicine and we're, we're just getting started
0: and and not and other people who are in the the medical field will probably because i know a lot of um um ancillary uh um People, medical people, will want to have access to that. That's fabulous. I, I noticed you started a podcast for MedFlashGo as well. Are you going to keep that one up as well?
1: Yeah. So essentially, you know, there's just been a lot of projects happening, but basically, the goal is this: the goal is it, it's not about breaking the bank for anyone.
2: Yeah.
1: The goal really is to just make studying as simple as possible and as mobile as possible, so that we have more opportunities to learn. So. We have a team of, uh, for MedFlashGo, it's 10 of us. Um, Medical students are helping. And so I'm actually bringing them um, in a week. We're going to be doing a little bit of training, and we're going to work together to get the podcast process smooth so we can do daily or weekday episodes um, every day. We're going to do that for dental. We're going to do that for MCAT. So we'll be having a fleet of of podcasts. And then, um, like I was saying before, that's the reason I just haven't been podcasting as much because I've been trying to organize all the, all these all these things. But I love podcasting, yeah. And like this process just gives me so much joy. So I, I I need to get back to it, and that's that's where I lost my flow. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. Well, I'm really glad that you're. I'm really glad you came back to it because you're very good at it. You're a lot of fun to talk to, and um, and I think it's so needed what you're you know what you've addressed and recognized. And you only need to be a little bit ahead of the person who needs your help to help them. You don't have to have it all solved. Right. But you've solved a lot of things and you're, you're also establishing yourself as a leader for that. So I just love it. I love the I love the name. I love the concept and thank you so much. Yeah. It's beautiful. And this is quite ambitious. Congrats on the uh, mid flash go.
1: Yeah. You know what? I I get that question a lot about um, how to tackle all these projects and, Mm -hmm. you know, The big thing about even this podcast right now is I think we have a unified goal in terms of inspiring individuals to be their best selves. Mm -hmm. And what it comes down to, and it's really what I said earlier, you don't have to be perfect. It's just about having consistent action over time. Mm -hmm. And even more so, if you learn how to create systems Like a lot of the stuff that's happening, you know, I mentioned MedFlashCo and I I, I mentioned MCAD and dental and the podcast. Mm -hmm. If you learn the basic techniques of time management, which are delegation, automation and elimination, those are the three. Mm -hmm. So if you learn to delegate tasks that aren't at your level anymore, Mm -hmm. uh, automate tasks, which can be done by a computer Mm -hmm. and eliminate tasks, which are unnecessary you can get a ridiculous amount of things done much more than you could ever think. And I list those things out because if you think about it in that order and you think about the things that you might be doing on a daily basis that are unnecessary in mm-hmm. 2020, there is an incredible amount that you can do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I started, I started this podcast, but then I started another podcast cause I just, but it's like, it's not that hard because now it's a system Yep. And then I, I was trying to get like a, over my head. I didn't have the budget to make the podcast better what I thought mm-hmm. was better. And I was like, "Who's defining better? I don't need all that background music. I don't." Yep. <laughs> so it's like down and dirty. You can hear us. You can see us. We're funny. Yep. We're we're got good information, and yeah, maybe later when I have a budget, we can you know spiff it up. But
1: absolutely, yeah. and it's, it's so funny you said that because. I was having that blockage when it came to the podcast episodes and interviewing people.
2: Yeah.
1: And because, as you know, if you really want to make it crisp and nice and high quality, it takes hours. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and it's never this is good the fun enough,
0: part. right? You get into that, it's never good enough.
1: Yeah. You get Absolutely. into Absolutely. You get in the perfection mindset. And, but, this is the fun part for us. Like we're having the conversation, we're having a good time, you know, the questions, the answers, like, you know, we're both smiling right now, all that. This is fun. Like this is the enjoyable part of the experience. It's the two to three hours afterwards of post-editing, cleaning up the audio. Ooh, I don't like how this uh, uh, sounded, ums, ahs, whatever. And then I just realized, like you said, if it's good content, okay, there's gonna be some mistakes, but if you get good core gems, whatever, just put it out there.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's so that mindset, it just, it it really is a big game changer.
0: Yep, for sure. Um, That's what I figured out. I, I, sometimes it's like, oh, this intro is too long, but you know, it, I'll, I'll get stuck. I know myself well enough. So I'd much rather produce. And then for you coming up, when you get busy with these things doing, I think you, you've already done some variations in the length. So it doesn't have to be 20 minutes or 28.2 minutes. It can be. Yeah. So I'd rather hear for two minutes than not at all.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I think there's, there's something in everyone's heads that, and especially me growing up, we like, we were talking about belief and core beliefs earlier. It's, it's basically, it comes down to, I'm not good enough.
2: Yeah.
1: I'll never be good enough. And what I put out needs to be perfect. Who defines that?
2: Yeah.
1: So I, I, think, I think it's just reframing and understanding. Sometimes it'll sound really great or whatever you think perfect is. Sometimes it might not sound perfect. But I'll, I'll tell you, some of the grittiest things I've put out have gotten huge traction. Yeah. And some of the perfect things I put out, which spent hours, which I spent hours doing, got nothing. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: It's true. I have, of all the podcasts I've done so far, the ones that have gotten the most traction have been the ones with the least famous people, <laughs> um, like my niece or my cousin, you know, it's like...
1: That's awesome.
0: Yeah, it's really funny. Now, I'm just curious, and answer if you want, or just say, yep. I don't want to answer, but um, growing up, did you have any of that not good enough?
1: You know? Uh, Totally. Well, so my background is uh, Russian-Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, I'm the firstborn citizen in my family, uh, mm-hmm. and the first, uh, first American-born citizen in my family. And so um, it comes from, you know, when, when we really want to think about it culturally, for me, when I think about it, it comes from the fact that my family came from Russia and Israel, and they came from a scarce time yeah. Where it was very much so about um, operating at a high level, having a very high level skill set, um, you know, being the top member of whatever they're doing. My grandpa came from the Soviet Army; both of my parents came from the Army, and it's a very much kind of a stringent look. And especially in Russian culture,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, it's it is about it is about achieving perfection. It is about being very good at what you do. To be honest. I actually really love that. I love that I came from that background because it's pushed me to want to achieve at a higher level for myself. Mm -hmm. But with that being said, and especially coming from gymnastics, gymnastics, there's a perfect 10, right? You think about the traditional perfect 10. Yeah. If it's not a 10, it's never good enough. Yeah. When I would come home with my report card, all A's and one A minus, hugs, congratulations. What's with the minus? (laughs) (laughs) right? So that's the culture I come from. Originally, I hated it. I really didn't like it. I didn't like the pressure. But as I grew older, and I started to respect what competition was, and I understood that I reframed it. That was the big thing. I reframed it to understand that the reason I'm being pushed is not to put me down. The reason I'm being pushed is so I can shine brighter, so I can be a stronger light, so I can be more organized to be my best Mm-hmm. And, as soon as I looked at it from that angle, it wasn't that I'm never good enough. it's that I'm striving for more because I want to be my best, I want to be my greatest and and it's not about not being good enough. I'm perfect now, and I want to keep reaching for whatever that perfect is tomorrow mm-hmm. and I think I think that that mindset shift for me um, has been what's really allowed me to operate effectively, but I, now I like, like. I I don't. It's not that I love to work. Now I enjoy the process of of bettering myself. So it's it's taken me a little bit of time to get there. But yeah, it comes from it comes from that.
0: Did it, did you learn that when you learned the transcendental transcendental med, meditation, or where mm-hmm. did this With, start for you that you're able to start reframing?
1: You know, I I couldn't pinpoint a time. I would say that um, I didn't like the pressure as much. I felt like I always had the weight of the world on my shoulders because uh, I was probably one of the more talented people in my family in terms of my achievements and those types of things. So I often felt that it felt like a sense of burden, mm-hmm. like I was having some burden shifted on me. I think when I went to college and I gained my independence, I, and especially with my team members there, it, it felt like we were working together on something. You know, so I went to Temple in Philadelphia. I was a Division One, uh, Division One team, and so gymnastics became less about myself and and working hard and achieving more and all this stuff. It became uh, something that unified us, and we were trying to we we're trying to go for you know to win our competitions and that stuff. I think that's when it kind of shifted where getting better wasn't about me. Getting better was a, was for others, and I actually want to highlight that because when I talk to people about personal development and growth and reading books and doing all this good stuff every moment. And I really want people to listen to this. Every moment you improve yourself for you, you become stronger in mind, body, spirit, and heart. Every time that you try to achieve more, every time that you, you, you take things a little step further. Number one, you're improving yourself. Number two, you're lifting yourself higher. But most importantly, you become an example of what's possible and you as a human literally are a symbol of inspiration you become you become a possibility of what can happen you think about someone like kobe i mean you know r.i.p kobe bryant like this Mm -hmm. is very recent right
2: Mm -hmm.
1: this is a person of course he had the talent But he is an example of human potential, what ridiculous skill level a person can get by consistent effort over time. He became a symbol of possibility. So what I would say when it comes to personal growth, it's not a burden. It's not about being perfect. It's about bettering yourself for you and for others. And when you do that, you become a shining light for people. And that's, that's the perspective I have now.
0: That's really beautiful. I I when I listened to you talk talking with David, you um he David talks a lot about worthiness and a feeling of worthiness. And you know, in his family, single parent and um in my family, I grew up in an alcoholic family. I'm I'm 66 years old. I just learned to play hockey when I was fifty. Um,
2: Congratulations. good.
0: <laughs> but I, I grew up in a family where somewhere very early probably five or younger i and i was one of four i was the third of four i came to believe i was not enough um and it's really deeply rooted in me and i Mm -hmm. it's it's one of these and david is always saying to me you got to elevate your frequency joyce (laughs) which is just such a vague thing to say and i'm like what does that mean exactly but um and then recently, I was reading a book by um, Kamal Ravikant, uh, "Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends on It," and I started to practice that. And it's it's awkward to say, "I love yeah. you," you know, to really. But I it, it became real to me. And I think with a lot of people I work with, that that's the issue is they haven't learned to, you know, you like you were saying at the beginning, you have your why, and you have to believe. Yep. If you just feel like dirt, like you're not worth it, how you know? So,
1: I have a practice I do with my patients, and it's very simple, but it illustrates a very important point. So, because we're healers, um, and that's kind of where we come from, and I I used to have that you know mindset as uh, as well. But there's this idea of a, a personality trait called the Obliger, and I can't remember the author offhand right now, but there's four. Kind of characteristics that people fall under. One of them is the obliger. Mm-hmm. The obliger is what, where when you think about someone who's healing and giving, they end up in this category. An obliger is someone who cares for other people and respects their wishes far more than their own. Mm-hmm. So they give up. It's called. It's like the martyr kind of mindset. You give everything for everyone else, but you don't give to you. So
2: mm-hmm. the
1: practice I do with people. Is I say, imagine an invisible stranger sitting to your left. And this person, they have their own story, they have their own issues, they have their own whatever, and they're in need, and you know they're in need. Would you go out of your way to maybe just let's say let's say they needed a dollar and you have 10 or whatever, would you would you give that dollar? Everyone says yes, right? Yeah. It's it's just it's just especially for the obliger. I'm not gonna give a dollar, I'll give them five, I'll give them six, I'll give them ten. Yeah. And then you say, wait a second, that's the invisible stranger that we just imagined, right? Well, let me just take that invisible person and shift them over right into your body.
2: Yeah.
1: You were the invisible stranger. Yeah. That's you. And, 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 and I think there's like a little bit, sometimes some people click, some people doesn't, but I have to repeat it often. But the real thing is, is why are we so willing to give to other people when the people we're giving to, they're us too. We're, we're just people, we're humans. Yes. And I think if we can pull back for a second and look, imagine we're not ourselves. Imagine we are a divine being or we're looking at ourselves from a 360 degree above view level. We're just a person. And I think if you uh, look at things from that objective viewpoint and you just understand that when you can... L- Loving yourself doesn't mean you have to give yourself everything and all that stuff, or, but it it does mean that just like you would give to a stranger, when you can give to yourself more fully, you operate at a high level. I often use the uh, the cup example. When you can create more energy within yourself, more financial success, you know, physical, mental, spiritual. When you can give yourself that time, that respect then you, it give, lets you give to that stranger better.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. And then by giving to that stranger, then they can love you more. But if you're depleted, it's just not going to happen. So I often use that to say, if you're so willing to do that for someone you don't know, what, what, what's the difference between their story and your story? You're both humans. And yeah. so that's kind of how I kind of play that. But
0: I love that. I, it's funny that you gave that example because recently my daughter um, – had, my daughter has five kids now. My, she's the oldest of my five. I have five. And she's had twins, and they're three months old. So I was holding the baby and looking down at her and saying, I love you, and looking in her eyes so mm-hmm. deeply. And then I imagined she was me as a baby. Mm. And I kept saying it, and I was saying it to myself. And that's kind of what I took from with, with Kamal's work, And what David Meltzer says also the repetition of it, like it's not it's okay to say it, but saying it over and over, so you kind of like rewriting it in your brain, reminding yourself that that was the old time you used to think that when you're only five, you didn't know better, you were protecting yourself, whatever. But you're you know you're an adult now, you can you're safe. But that practice of putting it external and bringing it into you and letting those
1: two Mm -hmm. things now
0: that's that's awesome.
1: That, that technique works very well for the natural obliger because it, it makes perfect sense. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I would be that willing to give them.
2: Yeah. And then
1: you just transition it back. Whereas yeah. someone who's overly, let's just go into, if we're going to say the stereotypical selfish, right? They yeah. give themselves too much. Yeah. And then forget to give back. So then it just becomes all ego and, and no altruism. Mm-hmm. And in fact, when you help other people, it helps you too. So.
0: Yeah, that's one of the things that I think gets you into the right part of your brain, and and right, you get fearful when you get all ego. It's about I don't want to lose anything. <laughs> and, right. Yeah. Yeah. Great stuff. Well, I really appreciate having having this conversation. Was there is there anything that um, that we haven't talked about that you wanted to talk about?
1: Um, not specifically, but what I would say is, in terms of the topic of happiness. Uh, A big thing that's taken me a long time to figure out and just so important is, and especially for people who are caregivers and healers and those types of things, is at the end of the day, no one is going to hand you your happiness.
2: Yeah.
1: You need to be your greatest self-advocate. You are the one who lives in your body. You are the one who lives in your mind. You're the one who knows your spirit. So... You know, when you have your space where you can just be yourself and you find your peace, understand what it is that you want and what you want and what you want to go for in life. It doesn't matter what anyone else wants for you. You have to figure out what you want because when it becomes authentic, people, and again, we, you know, when you talk about frequencies and, and all of that stuff, when you have that, what I like to f- call is the feeling of alignment everything flows through you naturally. You feel aligned. People can feel an authentic human being. And if you think about someone who's fully aligned, it is so much easier to achieve what you want. And when you achieve what you want, you give permission to others to achieve what they want. So Mm -hmm. it's this really weird uh, paradox where when you finally just grab what you want for you, you give everyone else that permission. So, When it comes to happiness, be your great self advocate. If it doesn't work that you can't, if you cannot advocate for yourself, use the invisible human as a practice. Advocate for that human. Make yourself an invisible clone. (laughs) Give everything to them and then put them inside of you because at the end of the day, once you advocate for yourself, you allow other people to self advocate. When you become strong, you let your family be stronger. And ultimately, I think. Uh, when it comes to happiness, and you let your cup flow, that's when we're all going to operate at a higher level. So I would just want to, you know, finish with that.
0: That's beautiful. The connectedness of the universe—that we're we're all connected and we're all from the same. That's beautiful. I want to make sure people know how to reach you in all the the places that uh, you like to be um, be con- uh, contacted.
1: Sure. So basically, the podcast is the Happy Doc. Uh, I'm putting out daily episodes so you can check me out on, uh, the happy doc podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, our channel is at happy doc podcast. Um, and if you personally want to reach out to me, just send me a direct message through the at happy doc podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, and, uh, let me know that you heard me on, uh, you know, on the podcast and then, you know, we'll, we'll take it from there, but. Joyce, I really appreciate your time and uh, I was really happy to have this conversation.
0: Me too. I've been looking forward to it. I'm grateful for all that you do to help others and you've helped me and um, elevated my frequency. So I really (laughs) appreciate that. If there's anything I can do going forward to help share or like or do anything with your stuff, uh, please do let me know.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you.